Marvel Snap, The Banshees of Inishirin, and Horrified. This is staying in. Right, so first of all, I realise that quite a lot of our stories start with, I was at the hairdressers the other day. But this story does start with, I was at the hairdressers. Well, most of your stories do. Yeah, mine and Chris's tend to, we tend to have quite eventful hairdressers. Yeah. Um, So I was at the hairdressers the other day. And I was sitting there, not talking, looking straight ahead, like I always do. Standard. And um, the gentleman cutting my hair was speaking to the gentleman next to him, who was also cutting someone's hair. And they were chatting about TV, about what what they've been watching. And they were chatting about that new Dharma Netflix show. Oh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, the the um, the mon- monster. I think it is. Yes, but but yeah, it's, it's got quite a bit of criticism in in the press about you know, um, you know, glorifying serial killers and all this all mm. this kind of stuff. And they were chatting about it, and I was kind of just like drifting in and out of the conversation because it just sounded like oh, you know, those general like oh, what you've been watching? And oh, I've been watching this. Oh yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, the actor's really good. And then and then one of them said. <laughs> And then one of them said, oh, have you seen that doc about John Wayne Gacy? And he was like, uh, no. And at this point, I was like, hang on a minute. Where is this conversation going? And then the guy went, no. How many did he get? And what do you, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, he got about 33. Oh, yeah. Dharma only got 17. It's like, what have I walked into? Just like the, the serial killer... Premier League, <laughs> like yeah, I was going to say, say fantasy league or top trumps. How many have I have I got? <laughs> yeah, like how many did he get? Oh, he got thirty. Oh, yeah, Dharma only got seventeen. <laughs> got, got, got. Need. Can you imagine each week? <laughs> Dharma's up too. <laughs> what a weird conversation. What do you? What do you? Do you folks? Do you folks like that stuff? Do you folks like? Do you find any? I know a lot of people like those like those like real crime because there's yeah. clearly like a lot of there's a lot of podcasts there's a lot of documentaries there is something interesting about it but like i don't i don't gravitate towards them generally i did i was with some work friends recently and they were kind of we were talking kind of like tv shows we watched and stuff like that and like they were all just talking about these true crime kind of documentaries and true crime shows like that. and i realized i was like first i thought Really, there are that many out there. Like I, I knew some of the big ones, but like I didn't realize there were that many out there. And so I realized I just don't watch my watch. Kind of like um, making a murderer. I'd listened to Serial before. I'd heard stuff about um, Dharma. I wasn't, to be fair, like we're in the UK. Um, I wasn't familiar with Jeffrey Dharma really. I think I'd heard his name perhaps in popular culture without really knowing anything about it. Um, so I'd, I'd kind of done a bit of research to kind of kind of see who this person was and what he had done absolutely horrifying i would recommend nobody looking it up because it is truly horrifying yeah. which made me just not want to watch the show i was like i don't want to watch anything about this person like even if there's a slight element of this is for entertainment i'm like no but this is I, too horrifying i, I, not I totally agree and 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 like i'm not a huge fan either but there is a little bit of a like I I can kind of see the appeal. Like, I can see why they're popular. Like there is a sort of like ghoulish kind of if I know that people are able to do this stuff, then I will I will like like know how to avoid it in the future. Like there's a really great podcast called um um My Favorite Murder and it's a very very popular podcast. Um and my pa- partner listens to it, and it's it's incredibly, incredibly popular amongst um, a whole bunch of different folks. But one of the things that they always mention on my favorite murder is things of of how to avoid it happening in the future. And I th- maybe that's mm. part of the appeal of these things that there's a kind of oh maybe I can control. I, I think there's I think you know part of what these these chaps are saying in the hairdressers was trying to understand the you know, what would drive someone to mm. to to act in that way and i and i guess that you know that's for a lot of for a lot of for people i think especially you know true crime true crime has a very specific demographic which is skewed towards um female listeners and female audiences and i think there's no coincidence that yeah. you know um wanting to control or understand a violent experience would would probably have more interest it 
will probably be more interesting for that audience than it would be would be for men i think for me like the ones that i've enjoyed the most are the ones that have gone beyond the the actual like recreation of of a murder of a serial killer like i think what making a murderer did that was quite interesting was it was more sociological than it was specifically about you know uh, a a man who may or may not have been a murderer same with serial like serial again was a murder mystery but wrapped up in it was you know racism Mm. um, societal pressures um examining the u.s u.s judicial scene but my favourite ever one is the one called The Jinx, which is incredibly difficult to get hold of because it was only on HBO. And this was like back in the day. I think Jinx was released in like 2009. Oh. And unfortunately, what makes it so good is something that happens in the final episode. But the whole premise of the show is, is there's this guy who was accused of, of murder and um, he, gets, he gets off, um, but there's still questions around the case. And the people filming the documentary actually secure an interview with this guy. And they, like, present all these facts to him. They walk you through the case, walk through exactly what the, um, what the courts saw and, like, the mysteries surrounding him. And it examined, like, the time he was growing up and the, and the um, uh, privileges that are given to rich people because he's, you know, he's a, he, he's a millionaire. And it's just the most compelling documentary series. I've there is nothing that I've watched of that kind of genre that has come close to what the Jinx does. That will more than anything, it makes you just want to run out and find as many people to get to watch it as possible, mm. because you just want to talk about what happens at the end. It's incredible. There could be an element of, I think, the perception sometimes that kind of people outside of the US get is that within the US there is an element of kind of uh crime and celebrity kind of morphing together that kind of that weird thing of car chases being on TV as like you see kind of through culture that happening and people like getting excited about watching a car chase and like to us that would never you would never have that on the news but Dan don't you remember getting really excited watching police camera action back in the day yes yes michael what? burke was it michael yeah, burke yeah michael yeah, it was Michael Burke. Michael Burke did 999, didn't he? Yeah, Michael Burke was 999. He was Police Camera Action. That, it, it's got to be someone like a proper... It, it would have been like a proper like journalist type yeah. police. But with Police Camera Action, if, if you aren't aware of what it is, like it was a TV series that was basically just car chases with criminals and stuff like that. And as a young person, I never really... Like, I always knew that I was not mental want the criminals to get away but sometimes there'd be a little <laughs> bit of me that went go on yeah go on go on do it get out <laughs> like especially if they had like a few near misses or and especially also if like this was a really long police chase and it was like they stole a mars bar or something like that i'd always be like nah i yeah. want them to get away with this one so i guess we did have a little bit of that but it was like you say it wasn't you know smashing down route 66 it was you know the m4 um okay well i think it's not i think we have to we have to deal with the elephant in the room no (laughs) that's a surprisingly good impression i didn't know dan could do that that's incredible yes it's it's one of my key skills and and by the look of his face i didn't i don't think dan knew he could do that necessarily oh oh i i pull out my elephant noises all the time in the kids story time yeah yeah if you've got a kid then you you know making good noises primo primo parent yeah i i have worked on all my animal noises yeah i do a pretty good goat goat's a tricky one can we have a goat please um yeah, I think my goat is. Isn't it? Isn't it more of a high pitched squeal though? Uh, it's a very, it's a very mature goat. It's been smoking. <laughs> it's a goat that's been smoking a lot of cigars. <laughs> yeah, everyone's a critic, aren't they? Well, let's let's deal with the thing. <laughs> let's deal with the the big news of the week, and this is the news that's been going around Twitter for the last. Oh, it must be the last week or so. You can't go. You can't go on Twitter without seeing this story going yeah. around the entire thing, and that is that everybody's addicted to Marvel Snap. 
Yes. Um, can can uh, I can be? I just there's right. <laughs> this Marvel Snap business has got me upset. Yeah. Because yep. it's made me realise how much this podcast has kind of ruined our friendship a little bit. Go on. Because I I hit you all up ages ago, not ages ago, a couple of weeks ago, saying, guys. Marvel Snap, because we'd all seen the adverts, we'd all been yeah, like, yeah. oh, here it comes another another free-to-play game. And I thought, yeah. I'll just give it a try and see how it is. Turns out, it's pretty bloody good. So I let all you guys know, no no reply, nothing. Until I was checking the little... In sp- my defence, in my defence, I, I react that way to every card battler that you suggest. Yeah, that's... Well, you react that way to most WhatsApp messages, Dan, so we kind of, you know... Yeah, to be fair, to- yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so then... I kind of think, oh, well, I'm just not listening again. And then I was looking at a little spreadsheet we have where we're talking about what we're going to talk about on the show. And, and there's little P.O. Willington with his little marble snap. So you've obviously been playing it, obviously enjoyed it. But rather than, you know, talking like friends, you've gone, I'll say that. <laughs> well, but, but I, think, I, think that's, I think as you say, Sam, there have been several moments where I've literally had to censor conversations with you because I think oh well we'll get to that in the pod I don't want to talk well, about this yeah, with Sam this now. will be gold um, I've, I've also played Snap and <gasps> yeah I know I can't believe it like and oh my word they, they weren't kidding when they said they'd streamline the process yes um, after the loading screen I'm straight into the game I was like what <laughs> I'm playing straight away <laughs> 30 seconds later I'm on game two yeah the thing that really put me off about all of those ads is mm-hmm. the person who's very clearly very excited <laughs> yes. very 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 yes. <laughs> north american yeah. and he's very 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 like and and not in a kind of like mean way in a kind of like he's just very positive about everything and i just and i and and he's like and nothing irritates you more I think what also irritated me about him was that like one of the lines that they use for Marvel Strap is just like we've stripped out everything that gets in the way of fun. And I was like, how do you know what I find fun? I quite like sitting there <laughs> yeah. for twenty minutes yeah. puzzling out what I'm gonna do in my next move. Like Yeah. How dare you think that my analysis paralysis is something to <laughs> yes. be to be stripped out. So so but those ads are very, very much about the like and and the thing they keep hacking away at is we've taken all the things that aren't fun and we've streamlined it. And yeah. I was like, okay, I will say this. I'm just going to say this straight up from the front, right? There is a reason that this is being published by an Asian company. And that is because these kinds of games, these kinds of card battlers have been around for a while. And there are a whole bunch of things that are happening in this game that are in card battlers already, right? There are things that are... Yeah. I don't think they've necessarily been done nearly as well, but there are things in here where I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I've seen that in other free-to-play games that everybody else will have seen also on the on the Google Play Store or Apple or whatever it is. Um, but this is the best of them, like without a shadow of a doubt. Like the, all of the things that that are annoying about those card battlers that I had to put up with for many years when I was covering them routinely, um, it's all gone. And m- more than that, the theme and the way that they handle the theme is actually perfect. Like, they actually yeah. feel like each card gets across the stereotype of what that character is, yeah. right? And that is a thing that has been, I think, missing from a whole bunch of the sort of gacha-focused card battlers uh, that have previously that have kind of come before and kind of paved the way for this. But just to kind of get into what this game is, so Marvel Snap, bad name. Uh, it's not yes. a game of Snap, which no. I actually can you imagine if it was though. After all that hype, I was I was really like yeah, like <laughs> okay. So it's not Snap as in the game you played as a child. It is a, a card. It's a card game in the way that. Uh, Hearthstone and Magic is a card game, but to con- but to compare it to those two things is to kind of do it a slight disservice. With Marvel Snap, each card and each card is basically just a character. There's no there's there's no like ways of there's not really a lot of ways of like adding on to those characters um, with like armor or um, weapons or or, or or extra spells or whatever. It, it, a character like, let's say, for example, um, Quicksilver, 
Quicksilver has one ability, and that is essentially that they are fast and that you immediately draw them on round one. Right? That's their one thing that they do. Um, they also have a cost and a an ability, uh, like an attack power. Um, and the idea is that you use attack power to own the three different spaces on the board in front of you and the person with the most uh, uh, um, attack power on that particular space wins that space and the ways that you win the game are you own the most spaces so you're, you'll currently have the most power in the most spaces um, but that simplicity of cost attack power and then a thing that it does suddenly then that simplicity has made me do things that I don't usually do with card games, and that's build decks and yes. think about things like synergies between different cards. So there's a mechanic called ongoing, and that thing allows you to, uh, once you've played that card, that ongoing ability happens all of the time. So it might be a thing like whenever you reveal a this card, it does this. Or on reveal is another mechanic. When you play the card, once the card is revealed, the thing that it does happens. So that might be on reveal, um, the next card to be played here gives you plus one attack, right? And by, by it being so straightforward in that way, essentially the, the goal of the game is to kind of think about decks that have the most chance of getting through and playing and, and actually beating your opponent. And here is the bit that is the, 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 the genius bit for me on this game. And I know I'm like just rambling and I'm just so impressed with this game. But here's the thing that really gets me. This game, it is on PC, but uh, it's on Steam if you want to play on there. Um, and it has a ludicrous number of positive reviews for a free-to-play game on Steam. Let me tell you. Um, mm -hmm. So you know it's good because Steam is very discerning. Um, on mobile is where it lives. because. Yeah. Because each of the games, when I take my actions, my opponent is also taking all of their actions. So uh, this is a, an idea called we go. So you, it's not you go and I go. It's a case of we go at the same time. Or simultaneous, if you're being old-fashioned. <laughs> simultaneous, yes. So I, I like we go. We go. I like we go. It needs to get more you, of an Yeah, answer. yeah. Like we go, so in that, what that means is that you aren't just sat looking at your phone waiting for your opponent to do a bunch of stuff, you're constantly playing, like you're constantly doing the thing. The only time you're waiting is when you're waiting on your opponent to finish up whatever it is that they're going to be doing on the same round that you're on. And you get into games incredibly quickly, the games themselves don't last a huge amount of time, they're all six rounds. So six rounds, and you're all playing at the same time. Oh my goodness! Like I can bang a game. I can bang out three games in <laughs> ten minutes. This, this is a Dan Frost iPad toilet game. Yes, yes. Well, this is this is this is the thing though. You've raised you've raised the either two words or the hyphenated one word that I know is putting Dan off playing this, which is deck building. And I'm here. I'm here. I'm waving my little flag to say, Dan, give me five minutes and I'll convince you why you can actually play this game and you will love it. Okay, let, I will give you five minutes to, to, help, to help you along with that. I will say I have tried the game. I have played it. Mm. I would say it is the closest I have come to enjoying a card battler game. Ooh, <laughs> that is high praise. It genuinely is. Um, the thing that puts me off most is the idea of deck building. Like, it works yeah. for me because, as you say, it's simple, it's fast, it's maybe something small, but the fact that it's based on characters I recognize, that is yep. very much yep. just, it's, it's, it makes no real difference to the game, the fact that it's Iron Man as opposed to a goblin. No. But the fact that my brain kind of goes, oh, I know this kind of, it's removed a hurdle from it. Not all the hurdles, yeah, they've removed yeah. a hurdle. Um, so I have enjoyed it. Uh, I really, what I, one thing I really do like is, is with that kind of that three, 
you're you, you're battling across three different worlds at a time so there is that strategy there that i like because i think a lot of the time when i play these games i don't fully understand them so i'm left just battling and getting killed and not really understanding because it's going one-on-one i kind of feel like yes it's one-on-one but because you have these three separate stages that you're kind of battling it on i'm not always battling against someone else because they may be doing something on the first one and i'm doing something on the third one and yeah. so there's there's a bit of disconnect there that makes it a bit easier for me to assess and i can understand perhaps maybe it's the language it's using i'm understanding what some of the powers are i understand how say for example you might say one of the worlds on turn six no card can be played here so i now i'm i'm picking up certain things and i'm utilizing certain strategies i've not played loads and loads of it um but i have played some and i have enjoyed what i've played the idea of deck building is what will stop me playing it long term because i just don't have any interest in like spending that amount of time trying to work that out so sam here you go convince me otherwise well, I don't think you need to spend that much time figuring it out because of the the how a game of Marvel Snap is structured. As you know, the a round of Marvel Snap is only six rounds. So you only play six cards on in a game. First of all, your deck is only twelve cards big. It means that when it comes to deck building, you're literally just picking two or three cards that you really like the look of for whatever reason they might just be heavy hitters or they might have some certain synergy and then you're just putting them in and then building a deck around that so complementing powers or making sure you've got enough low energy cards so you can get out the game mm-hmm. quite quickly and the the brilliance as you say 12 cards that's all you need that that that's so putting the deck together is fast but importantly getting the feedback on is this deck any good is really quick is three minutes yeah yeah, it's super fast. And that, to me, has always been the thing that's put me off deck building. With Marvel Snap, you have a curve of every single turn, you're getting more and more and more and more powerful. So the it removes this element of luck in the deck building process, where uh, sorry, in the deck testing process, yeah. whereby you aren't thinking, you're never, you're never sat there thinking, is this just because I didn't get lucky? It's uh, it's like no 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 you, you didn't make a decent enough deck go back think about it yeah. tweak this did you really need this like two of basically the same kind of character did you need these two or could you are there, are there other little synergies you could work on instead God it's so good it's very good it's a it's a very good game now Dan hello. Uh, speaking of stuff that we only discover when looking at the drive. Yes, this was another thing. So oh. so y- you've been and seen a film that I really, really want to see. And I know Sam wants to see it. And I know Pete won't have a clue what this film's about necessarily. No. no. But no. I mean, I mean, we should say the title and get, ask him to guess the plot. Okay. Which might be quite Do fun. Do it. Oh, that's a very good idea. Dan, <laughs> uh, what's the title of this film? Uh, well, f- first, I just want to thank you all because you're the reason I went to see this film. Because... Uh, I used uh, the gift that you bought me for my birthday Aww. back in February, which Aww. is vouchers for the Everyman Aww. Cinema. Um, so I so I saw this at the Everyman Cinema, um, and the film I saw, Pete, The Banshees of Inishiran. Over to you, Pete. Um, all right. Well, now I've already spoken about Banshees once this podcast so, already. So. so sorry, The Banshees of Ed Sheeran. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> Uh, no, quite far from I that. I mean, I mean, what is the plot? The of Banshees. That? Uh, hold on, hold on, stop that. Okay, yeah, what's that film? Okay, let, let's. Maybe this is one for the outro. We'll, we'll say, we'll save it. Right, this is the outro. Now is what is the plot of the Banshees of Ed Sheeran? Okay, so 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 we'll we'll come back to uh, the Banshees of Ed Sheeran uh, later on. Uh, but for now, uh, we're looking for uh, the Banshees of Inishiran. Uh, Inishiran. Inishiran. Um, I mean, Inishiran sounds like is it is it maybe like Celtic? Is it uh, like you know something a little bit maybe maybe in like deepest uh, Ireland somewhere or Scotland oh. or something along those lines? Um, and then Banshees, uh, we obviously we know that they are very scary apparitions and ghosts that haunt areas so maybe it's like a haunted forest in like you know just outside cork 
Is that all it is? It's a swing and a miss, but oh. I appreciate the the uh, uh, the attempt. Okay. Um, it's not about haunted forests. Right. No. Um, the Banshees of Inisherin is the latest film by uh, written and directed by Martin McDonough, who had previously done uh, three billboards out of Epping, Missouri, Seven Psychopaths, and right. In Bruges. Uh, in Bruges, which starred Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, who are reunited in in this. Um, this film as as kind of like two best friends um set in the 1920s um on an on a small island just off the coast of ireland um with the backdrop of the irish civil war kind of happening um it just kind of exists in in the kind of the the ether of of the story that it's telling but it's absolutely there um i was kind of drawn to this from the from the premise that i saw from the trailer um a while back um and the trailer the premise of the story is basically what happens to two friends when one of them decides he doesn't like the other one anymore? And when I when I saw that, I thought that's such a such a simple, such a silly idea of just like I don't want to be friends with you anymore. That like I really kind of wanted to see what how a film would kind of hang its head on that. And that's kind of where the film the film starts with a friend going up to his other friend who suddenly says, "I don't like you anymore. I don't want to see you anymore. I don't want to talk to you anymore." And that's it. There's no explanation. Um, and what you're left is just a situation where this guy says, I don't really know. People say to him, what, have you been rowing? It's like, I don't think we've been rowing. Maybe we have. And that kind of confusion is kind of a really rich vein of comedy throughout, especially the first half of the film. And it is absolutely laugh out loud funny. It really is. It's a very dark comedy. Um, but especially in that first half, there are just plenty of moments where I was in a small cinema. It was kind of half full, but like throughout there were people laughing and you could, it was, it was a lovely experience. What's great about it is that, like, that simple idea of two adults not wanting to be friends anymore. It's such a childish idea. And there's a moment in it where one of the characters finds out about it. And he says like, why are you 12? Like this is such a ridiculous kind of thing. And as you kind of, for that first half, you spend a lot of time with the character of Porrick, played by Colin Farrell. And you realise the more time you spend with him, his kind of core characteristic is just that he's a nice guy. He's not the smartest. He's not particularly mm. interesting. Kind of, like, there's a, there's a few comments here where they just talk about the fact that he's just really dull. But he's always been dull. What's changed? Why mm. is he suddenly, you don't want to be friends with him anymore? And as it as it goes on, it starts to get slowly darker. and it. As the character played by Brendan Gleeson, as he gets more and more frustrated by kind of Porrick's attempts to kind of re-engage with him and be friends with him again, he says to him, okay, if you continue to talk to me, for every time you talk to me, I will cut off one of my fingers, which is such a, such a ghoulish and such a kind of fantastical threat. It's almost Shakespearean in its threat. And there is, I did get a feeling of kind of a Shakespearean feel throughout this film. There's a there's even like a character who could very easily represent death in the film. I was getting a very kind of weird sisters from Macbeth kind of vibe from that. Especially when you factor in kind of a civil war backdrop. There's, there's very much these kind of ideas. And almost like at, at one point I was like, is this an, an allegory for kind of purgatory or something like that? It's, you're not quite sure what's going on. But there are these little moments and things. I don't think it is. Um, but it was definitely kind of making me think certain things. And as it progresses... It becomes a bit darker, a bit more some, but the, the the jokes are still there, the humor is still there, but it's not quite as kind of overt as as it was at the beginning, and it starts to become quite profound. And I don't know if it's we we talked earlier about um the fact that we at times will stop talking about something because we're going to talk about it on the podcast, mm. and we kind of almost almost kind of edit ourselves. And as I was watching the film, I wasn't sure if it was. Because we do this podcast, but I started thinking, okay, what's the message here? What is the film actually? What's the film actually about? Um, whether or not that was because the film was making me think that way, or because of this, I don't know. I think that's just a good film. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But it was just a case of I was having these thoughts, and like, is it about kind of the power of companionship? Is it about um, kind of living in the present against kind of trying to create a legacy? Is it just the power of kind of kindness and the power of being nice? And how does niceness cope when it's under threat? Mm. And probably a thousand other things that this film is about that smarter people than me would know. But it was just all these different things. And I was just having all these more profound ideas. The performances are 
across the board fantastic so you've got colin farrell and brendan gleason who have such incredible chemistry together kind of these these kind of one's kind of an old grizzled guy one's more young and immature and kind of just he is a bit more childish and that that combative nature is really fantastic you've got kerry condon who plays um kind of porrick's sister really lovely understated performance the only thing i've seen her in before she's in um better call soul she plays the daughter of mike in better call soul she also appears in the marvel films she's the voice of friday um the iron man suit kind of huh. later on in the series but I mean, it will come as no surprise to you when I say that Barry Keoghan steals the show, as he tends to do in most things I've seen yeah, him in. He's, he's yeah, he's that all the time. He he plays he plays his character Dominic, and it's the most astonishing performance. It really is kind of like everything I've everything I've seen him in has just been really fantastic. So he was in um, American Even Animals, the Eternals. I mean, it's been very well documented on this podcast, my feelings towards Eternals. <laughs> but I think even when we discussed it, I did say that Barry Keoghan was the best thing in that film. And in that film, he is still electric and kind of, you can't take your eyes off him. And he's no. unbelievable in this film. He really is kind of an incredible, incredibly talented actor. Um, and it is just, just a wonderful it's not an ensemble because it is very much kind of it's the film of Colin Farrell and, and Brendan Gleeson, but that supporting cast is just so wonderful. Um, I leave I left the cinema not with not with a skip in my step because there is kind of can you imagine? Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, there is this kind of wave of melancholy that kind of leaves the screen and kind of washes over you, kind yeah, of, as 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 it ends. But like it was the perfect kind of film to watch in a cinema like The Everyman. It's not the film that needs the massive screen and the blaring sound no. behind you it's not that kind of thing to sit there in a comfy sofa my wife sat next to me I had a little, i've got a little table i'm sipping a, a about the cider that i've got here at the start of it someone comes and introduces the film the whole thing was just lovely and it was just such a it's we, i'm so used to when i go to the cinema now going to see the marvel films and going to see top gun and stuff like that because they're the films you have to yeah, see on the yeah. big screen avatar you've got to see yeah. it on the biggest screen Sometimes it's just wonderful to watch a really quiet, gentle story with kind of actors who are kind of such subtlety in their performances and the stories told with such subtlety. That's just amazing. It's beautiful to look at. Um, ben Davis was the uh, cinematographer who's done a lot of work with Martin McDonough in the past, done a lot of work with Marvel. So he did a lot of work on um, Eternals, Doctor Strange, Age of Ultron, lots of these things. Um, so he's got a really wide scale, but... It's just really, really beautiful. I would absolutely recommend if you can see it, um, if you can see it in an environment like an Everyman, like a boutique, because it is really nice to see it like that. You don't need to see it on a massive multiplex, um, but but obviously you you can you don't have to. You can wait for it to kind of come onto the smaller screen. But if you can see it in a, in a really nice environment, I would absolutely recommend you go and see it. Yeah, I I really want to go see it because it, it plays into what is one of my greatest fears which has persisted ever since I started reading Kafka, which is something happening and no one explaining to me why that thing is happening. <laughs> and, um, like, I just, like, that, knowing how obsessive I can get about about certain things and just knowing, you know, if that was to happen to me, like, if one of you guys or all of you guys just woke up one morning and just be like, yeah, we're not speaking anymore. And... I feel like what's interesting about this film is that how, like, how in this day and age that sort of cutting off that sort of, um, that sectioning off of someone is actually quite easy and simple to do. Like, you could literally just delete someone from your life, and especially us, we don't live in the same location, you know, we could very easily just, like bisect someone from your life and never really explain explain why i think what's interesting i've considered it multiple times <laughs> i think what's interesting about banshees and that you know you're talking about those themes that it brings up dan is how you do that in a society that is a lot more convivial that is a lot more based on face-to-face -face and like unavoidable situation you know a tiny island um um location so like it like exploring that as in a way that doesn't seem and all i've seen is all i've heard is you know what you said about the film and the trailers like seeing that explored in a way that doesn't feel very like us and them like kafka does 
but it's more like um personable and it's more um um to do and it's more emotional than um the black and white um way that kafka sorts of writes those kinds of um scenarios um yeah it, it just um intrigues me a lot and i think what i like about a lot of martin mcdonough's characters from like you know his stage background as a director and playwright like the pillow man for example is that he he writes characters that aren't necessarily 100% likable and and that's yeah. usually quite a challenge for me because i need to have a somebody likable for me to have an investment in it i need hope i need someone likable otherwise i'm not interested i don't want to watch stuff that's about assholes and not mean to each other but yeah. but what I like about McDonough's characters is that you'll have, like, for example, in the case of In Bruges, these are two hitmen. Their job is about killing people. And yes, there's, a, there's, there's that t- typical kind of deadpan kind of gallows humour that you'll often get in McDonough's work. There's kind of like an obsession of death, for example, that prevails in a lot of their work. But, but just listening to the ways in which they reflect and meditate on what it is they do and why they do it, um, that makes it them um, extremely interesting, as you say, Dan. Having that space, and I think, as you, I think you're right, Sam, that, that, that it's no coincidence that this is a period piece. Having that necessary yeah. space amidst that incredible landscape, um, while you've got this kind of civil war ranging in the background, you know, as a kind of an interesting macrocosm of the civil war that is emerging between these two people, I think is quite telling, really. Oh, what do we have here? Is this an advert? It is, but don't skip ahead because it's also a recommendation. Listen, if you know anything about Overtired, you know it's a podcast that covers an eclectic range of topics in the most real, raw way possible. Christina Warren, Brett Tepestra, and Jeff Sevens Gunsel chat weekly about tech, TV and movies, ADHD and mental health, and now and then, Taylor Swift, for some reason. Overtired has you covered on mental health check-ins and tips, uh, television and media, tech and programming. Listen, it's all good. Follow their personal life journal and get great advice and recommendations on tech, mental health, movies, music, and tons more from these wizards of the internet. So if you add any new podcasts to your must-listen list, this is it. Find Overtired wherever you listen to podcasts or at overtiredpod.com. That's overtiredpod.com. Okay, thanks for listening and back on with the show. Boo! Ah, that's right. <laughs> we just had spooky season, um, and it was good. It was good. Oh, that's what that was. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Did you so scared? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry. Let's try that again. <laughs> yeah, just edit it together, Dan, so that comes after the boo. Um, uh, it's been. This has probably been the first ever Halloween where I've really embraced it. Only because I've had to explain every step of the way to my small boy why there are pumpkins outside people's houses, <laughs> <laughs> and then the the one house that has got a skeleton crawling out of the floor and a little gravestone and like spider webs and stuff like that, and I've been and he's just like, "What's that, Daddy?" And like, "Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> let, let me let me try and explain." But I've got a good I've got a good parenting hack. Uh, if you want to do the pumpkin thing, but you don't want to create lots of mess, paint and googly eyes. He was pretty happy with that. We just painted them, googly eyes on them. Don't stick them outside the house, otherwise people come knocking. But put them on a shelf for a few days. What do you mean? Hold, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold <laughs> on, what do you mean people come knocking? You mean trick-or-treaters? Yeah, because it's the, like, around, well, around where I live, the rule mm. is, yeah. if you mm. want to get bothered, put out a pumpkin. If not, then no one will bother you. Right, yeah. but didn't you just say something along the lines of this is the first time where I've really had to kind of get into it? Like, and you're yeah, like, we bought a couple of we bought a couple of pumpkins, painted them, right. googly eyes, right on the shelf, done. I wouldn't say, yeah, okay. So that's not quite really getting into it. If you're like, hold on, I don't want any trick or treaters coming around. <laughs> to, to be fair, that's more that's getting into it more than I ever have. So what? True. What do you mean? I I have never. 
carved a pumpkin. I've never been trick-or-treating. I've never provided sweets for trick-or-treaters. Chris, Chris, what about you? Have you done any of this? Oh, all the way, mate. Oh, thank goodness. So my, my par- on my partner's street, one of her neighbours has a sandwich board that they put up at the end of the drive, which directs families down there because they have all of their houses just pimped out like oh this wonderful God. scooby-doo thing and they have they, they they really show the street up to be honest that's incredible so i halloween is my least favorite holiday of the year and even i get kind of excited about about like the idea of like some kids knocking on the door and then you throwing candy bars <laughs> at them that that's a great idea <laughs> i remember that do you remember that one time i told you about where i was it, i was flooded with kids and i ran out of I, I ran out of sweets oh yeah <laughs> and i all i had left was like cereal bars oh I know. the disa- good thing they were wearing masks to hide the disappointment that they would have had that's true walking away with an alpen bar the one um the the one thing i do enjoy about about halloween though is that every year um chris and i always make an effort to do spooky games night Indeed. Um, so we have, we of course, we have War Boys, which is War Boys Day with me and Chris. War Boys. Play War Boys games. Another holiday. Um, and then there's also Spooky Games Night. I had three Spooky Games Nights this year and loved all of them. Great. I had a triple threat. <laughs> I, I, I joined a, a, I somehow got involved in joining a, a board game group with a friend of mine from work, and we played Betrayal at the House on Hill for hang on, two... Hang on, you, you sound surprised, Sam. That's not a surprise to any of us. You say that as if, oh, I don't know how this could possibly have happened. <laughs> and, we play, and we played, somehow managed to eke out a game Betrayal at the House on Hill for two and a half hours. But probably one of the highlights this year has been a new entry into the Spooky Games canon. Because usually we just play things like Medium, Betrayal... Um, uh, King of Tokyo actually can sometimes be a good little like Halloween one, especially with if you're with the family. And Mysterium, but one survives. One survives. That's also a great one that we that we play a lot. But this year we played Horrified for the first time. And boy, oh boy, am I ever convinced that Prospero Hall might be one of my favourite ever, <laughs> ever board game designers because this is uh, a treat. It is, again, you will have seen Horrified in Waterstones. You will have seen Horrified in mainstream shops all over the place and probably gone, ah, it looks like a, you know, um, you see the Universal Monsters badge on it and see like Frankenstein and uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon and the Invisible Man and just knock it off as some sort of tie-in with the film franchises. But, oh, no. It is. Oh, no, indeed. Pretty exceptional. So Horrified comes from Ravensburger, and I've had my eye on this since 2019 when it came out, mm-hmm. and loads of people raving about it because I love cooperative games. But I was a little bit worried because uh, I play a lot of games uh, with my partner who loves cooperative games, but I also play a lot with my family as well as, as just Sam. And my family aren't necessarily down with stuff that seems particularly spooky or horrific and gruesome yeah and there are lots of games that kind of lean into that aesthetic but this is a family game i think that's really really important to say uh it reminded me of the kind of spookiness you get in a scooby-doo cartoon not to kind of undercut it and make it seem quite childish no 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 not at all but it's perfect for families you can play it one to five so brilliant already i can play it solo Mm -hmm. games last about 60 minutes and it's set in a kind of fictional location where all those classic universal monsters that Sam mentioned, it creates a, an imagined kind of shared world in which they coexist, which happens yeah. to be this small town that has these kind of typical generic spooky spaces. There's a barn, ooh, a laboratory, ooh. a tower, an institute, ooh. and a shop. Oh. And as a team, you have to defeat these monsters. So... It recommends you start with Dracula and the Creature from the Black Lagoon. But for a standard game, you pick three monsters. So already that great sense of like, oh, who, who are we going to play against today? Oh, what kind of combination are we going to have? So Sam and I, we played, we did that. We started with Dracula, Creature of the Black Lagoon. Pete, we did The Mummy and The Invisible Man. Mm. Yeah, and, and I've done The Invisible Man and The Werewolf as well. And you then 
choose your character, variable player powers, just tick, tick, ticks already. Every time I come back, it's going to be different. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And then you take it in turns, completing a series of actions. So collecting items from certain locations to use against the monsters. Oh, thank you. There's a pitchfork. I'll stab Dracula with that. Or you yep. choose to guide and protect villagers who are just wandering around and you've got to protect them from these monsters and take them to their locations they need to get to whilst keeping out of the way of the monsters. And, you know, and at the end of your go, we draw a card which tells us how many new bits of equipment and items spawn on the board, where they spawn, and an event may apply or an event may happen to us that we have to kind of work around. Then it tells us which of the monsters are going to be activated. Oh, my word. Oh, Dracula's going to move now. How, how far is he going to move? Oh, one space. That's okay. But hang on. Oh, no, no, no. He gets to move again. It's okay. I've got loads of equipment here. So he's got these hits against me. I can just lob three uh, bits of equipment at him, a microscope, <laughs> an amulet, uh, yeah. and a shotgun. That'll, that'll keep him at bay for a moment. That's and one then- of my favorite bits of the game is is applying a narrative to how you're fending off the creatures using the equipment that you've got in your hands because sometimes it makes sense like you've literally got a torch and a gun and a pitchfork but sometimes you do just have like a pack of biscuits and a couple of hobnobs and you're like macgyver but what i love is like the objects are (laughs) color coded so the red stuff Mm -hmm. is really like confrontational like guns and knives and things and that works for those kinds of creatures whereas for like the invisible man and the wolf man it's much more kind of um, blue kind of coloured items, which are more like scientific, like Bunsen burners, test tubes, microscopes, this sort of yeah. thing. And then for like the mummy, for example, it's much more kind of totemic stuff and like spiritual things because you're dealing with something occult-like there. So you keep doing this kind of play until you have to get to complete the necessary stages to complete to, to defeat the monsters and then finally get to the location and kill them. And that's basically about having the right amount of equipment of a particular colour or colours um, and then getting the right sum total of the numbers that are on those equipment really. So for Dracula, you have to find all the coffins on the map and destroy them before you take him on. Um, for the Wolfman, you've need to got to find a cure and then administer it. For the Invisible Man, we love this. You have to go around the, the map and find evidence yeah. to incriminate them before you it's then so take them down. That's a very clever. And the one I really like, which I love to play at, is you've got Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein. And their yeah. player board mm-hmm. is these dials. And you've got to try and keep them away from each other as much as possible until they become humanized. And then you allow them to kind of meet. So I've also had the pleasure of playing the sequel to this game, which is called Horrified American Monsters. And this is, um, it comes in the same size box. So it's kind of like a standalone, like an expandalone version, I guess, where it's completely, no, it's a completely standalone version of of Horrified. It it plays exactly the same way. The player characters have the same um, skills and abilities and the game works in exactly the same way. However, Whereas this is the universal monsters that you would have seen in, you know, films and movies and growing up. American Monsters is more cryptozoologic, cryptozoological. Yep. Uh, they're de- dealing with cryptids, basically, like so American um, cryptids. So things like Bigfoot, Mothman, um, uh, the Jersey Devil, Banshee of the Badlands, um, creatures like that and and the art style i actually think i prefer the art style of american monsters it has a bit more of a pop arty kind of vibe to it the town though the layout of the town is is very similar to the original horrified it just i just i think i prefer the artwork of 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 that and i think and i think i almost prefer the the monsters of american monsters because how you defeat them for each one is so varied and so interesting that I feel like I'm just more compelled to play that version. So, so for example, if you're trying to take down the Mothman, you have to essentially drop traps as you're going along the board and trying to trying to capture him. For 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 the Banshee, you have this little model um, uh, violin that you've got to roll dice for and like move towards towards a certain location on your on the little player board in front of you but the most fun one the brilliant one which is which is why I'm I'm so enthusiastic about this other version is Bigfoot and the way that you have to bring down Bigfoot is by playing one of those cube slide puzzles 
Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you have those little puzzles that you like move a thing in an empty space, then everything else moves along, and you got it. So you start on the board with this muddled picture, this blurry picture of Bigfoot. And by spending certain items and going in certain locations, you have to then like reveal the different parts of the picture and then do this little puzzle where you're sliding them to put them together. And only once you've completed the puzzle can you then go and fight, fight Bigfoot. So clever. It's so, so good. I like these kind of mini games, but it's not too complicated these gears within no. gears. And, it, and it, I think it works so well as a family game because I could easily imagine you saying, okay, right, you're going to focus on that puzzle. Okay, when it gets to you, we're going to do that and you're going to focus on this. And because you've got your own individual abilities and these perk cards, you always feel useful. And I think the death knell for any cooperative games when you've got a player just sat there, the wait until it's mm-hmm. their go and all they're doing is just, yeah, I do this, do this. And it's just mundane kind of stage business. Or because yeah, someone's quarterbacking. Exactly. Whereas this... They're telling everyone to do. Whereas this, you always feel you are you have the ability to help and contribute. And yes. you can delegate roles very neatly and you, everyone feels useful, I think. So I, I'm definitely going to mm-hmm. be buying this. Definitely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Prospero Hall, man. He just... They just absolutely no, knock it out of the park. Seriously, like I, I want to play Pan Am now, which I never thought I'd say, and didn't seem like a game that appealed to me. I, I, I feel like a game with his name on it, I, I'm expecting to exceed my expectations in every single way because every time I played a game by Prospero Hall, Jaws, Villainous, Horrified, um, they exceeded my. They did Bob Ross, The Art of Chill, didn't they as well? Yes. The other um, games that I played on my other spooky games tonight were actually two games um one of which is becoming my favorite like just throw down and play games but they're both games that play with randomness in a really interesting way and i know we kind of spoke about marvel snap and you know the the idea of you know playing with randomness in a way and playing with you know what cards are going to come down and and how you play but they're but these games are Point Salad and Tiny Towns. They're both from AEG, Alderac Entertainment Group. Um, I think both of them do something really interesting. And it, and it kind of struck me when I was playing, playing with a family. But both of them do a really interesting thing when it comes to randomness. Okay. And what's interesting is, you know, from a design point of view, is how they make you feel like you're in control of the situation. But really, you're not. <laughs> and really, you're flying on the whims of the wind and you have no control. But for s- somehow, how the games are both designed, you feel like, yeah, yeah, I've got this. Don't worry, yeah, I've got this. Yeah, I can, I can, I'm going to win this quite easy. So to briefly describe how both games work, Point Salad is a, it's a game where you have over 100 cards. On each card is one of six vegetables. And on the other side of each card, it's a unique way of scoring. So you have this tableau in front of you, and there's three decks. And in front of each of those three decks is two cards, face up. And by face up, I mean showing a vegetable. So when you're looking at the, the three lines, the three rows, at the top, you've got three different point cards and then six different vegetables. And on your go, all you do is either pick up two different vegetables or you pick up one points card or one sort of objective card should i say and then you all you're doing is collecting vegetables and then collecting cards that help you score the most points so it might be that you get a card that says the most amount of onions seven points an onion a pepper and a cabbage that's going to get you eight points for every two peppers you have you're going to get five points and what is brilliant about the game is this idea of you looking at things and you cannot help but look at those points cards at the top and go, oh, there's quite a lot of peppers there. And there's a points card there that means if I have every, for every two peppers I've got at the end of the game, I'm going to get five points. Hmm. So my strategy here is pick up those two peppers. But then what happens? As soon as you pick something up from the, from the pile of vegetables, the top points card gets then put back in its place so you can never really build any satisfying strategy to what you're to what you're good what you're actually doing because that landscape is ever changing so i think for me just thinking about it is that 
when you're looking at the scorecards, it's not just, oh, if you get a certain amount of this, you'll get points. It's also, you get a certain amount, of, you, if you get a certain amount of this and also don't have any of this, you'll get yes. points. So it doesn't feel like a free-for-all. So what I like about Point Salad is that very, very first scorecard I pick up, which will have on it, whatever you do, don't pick any of these up. It automatically gives me a strategy. And that's yeah. what kind of cuts through the randomness to a degree uh, in the sense that I'd rather have that than all the cards are just like, well, you just need to get, you just score points all the point, all the time by just collecting this amount. Mean, yeah. The fact that you've got something that mitigates that means ultimately it actually, in a strange way, removes analysis paralysis because you'll set yourself a rule saying, okay, I'm just not going to collect onions. I don't care what I do now. I'm just not going to, I can, I've, I've made, I've made peace with myself and I'll ask, I won't feel bad when Sam grabs all those onions. And because those points cards are unique, like you can't just sit there waiting for, well, I've got loads of peppers, so I'm just going to wait for one of those two peppers is five points thing coming up again. Because once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. So you really hedge your bets. But Tiny Towns does a similar thing. And it's in a way, it's even more bonkers than Point Salad because Point Salad is, is, is a really snappy, quick 20-minute card game. Whereas Tiny Towns is up to an hour of play. And that's a game where it comes in this gorgeous box and it's got this really lovely theme where you're essentially building a tiny town for little creatures like hedgehogs and mice. And it's really adorable. It's like Sylvanian, you're, like you're building a little Sylvanian family's town. Um, everyone gets their uh, a four by four grid and um, you start the game by laying out these cards um, and you get all these like lovely like wooden like different structures and buildings and things and quite simply put all you're doing is looking at the cards in front of you which are shared by everyone and for example oh i really want to build a tavern and for that tavern i need um brick glass and wood and i need to place those three resources in a particular shape anywhere in my anywhere in my grid to say they're like in an L shape or a T shape or whatever. Once you've completed that shape from the resources, you take all the resources, put them back on the table and then replace it with, with a building. And then at the end of the game, you get certain bonuses for each building. So for example, if you've got a cabin next to, a, if you've got like a, a, a pub next to a well, then they score two points. And if you've got a, a, a church in the corner of the, the map, that gets you four points. Like it's standard sort of board game fair in that in, in that way and it's really nice and those cards are randomized so every time you're scoring things you know differently like have three pubs on your map and they get you nine points etc 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 but the wrinkle with tiny towns is only when it's your go do you get to decide what resource you're picking up on that round is mm. and Whatever you decide, every single player around the table has to pick up exactly the same resource and they have to put it in their map. So we played a six-player game of this and it was unbelievable because essentially only one in six times are you in any control over what you're putting in your map. And when your map gets full and you can't make any of the shapes or match any of the patterns on the cut, you, you, you can't go. You're stuck. So you're completely at the whims of up to five other people around the table. The, by, the, by the sounds of it, like with Tiny Towns, like it sounds like from, from a, a beginner player, like the, the kind of the core concept is relatively simple to grasp. It's obviously usually yeah. the, the actual tactics will often throw off kind of a, a, a new player. But by the sounds of it, like the tactics are also relatively easy because you're not in control of them. You're no, yeah. given mm -hmm. things, you just have to deal with them. So kind of from 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 experience point of view you kind of like i've only got one chance in six to kind of do something constructive whereas from the the kind of the lower end of the scale it's a case of there's only one turn where i actually have to think about what i'm doing i have to actually plan yeah. only one out of six <laughs> so the flip is actually it's easier for me if you give me something and i just have to make it work in this space rather than think strategically okay well i need yeah, this thinking. in order to get this yeah it makes a lot of those decisions for me so it sounds like it would be a lot easier to grasp um i mean a lot of games they're easy to grasp but you need perhaps a few times to I go but this one it seems it seems like it'd be quite easy to get in right from the beginning yeah and and no one and no one felt shortchanged at the end like we did the final scoring and no one really minded who won or whatever because we were all 
like hamstrung by the same constraints and it was like trying to make the best out of a of what is a terrible building situation and it almost felt like the kind of it, it was like a town council planning simulator where you just felt like all of your controls and your actions were like hamstrung by committee yeah camel is a horse designed by a committee <laughs> yeah i'd have to play this drug i'd really love to play this drug <laughs> can we have that as a list sam of games you can only play when drunk uh yeah i'll add that to six player tiny towns the list but yeah it, it both both the games um uh, both by um, aeg um point salad and tiny towns uh i i, I think for especially for families um uh, i think a, a brilliant games in taking that control away from players but yet not replacing it with frustration and i think that's a um uh, an incredibly tricky um, but satisfying trick to to pull off. So so well done, well done them. So the plot for Banshees of Ed Sheeran. Um, I think I think definitely Ed Sheeran right is having a bit of a lull with his career. So he is just wandering around London, and he comes across a shop, and the name of the shop is Peter. Uh, the name of the shop is um hearts incorporated hearts incorporated and he walks in the shop and there's a shopkeeper there and um who's going to be played by chris yep and uh ed sheeran being played here by daniel frost walks into the shop and 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 this scene is how it's going to play out is ed sheeran wants a wants a, a new guitar and chris wants to sell him a guitar that's going to make him going to basically going to write the brilliant songs for him it's like a cursed guitar i think it's important to note at this point that i know nothing about ed sheeran neither do i but damn we're going to play with this this film doesn't exist this isn't this isn't our rehearsal for a pitch meeting to universal studios (laughs) i was it not i I thought this was the next step in our podcasting lives right so i'm pitching it, it, it the guitar's a bit like that broom in fantasia it's got like limbs oh wow so it actually physically writes the song that's what I'm picturing. Okay. And action. So, yeah, so shopkeeper there. So, uh, are you... Uh, ding, ling, ling. Are you... Uh, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, so, yeah. Ding, ling, ling. Enter. <laughs> Hi there, shopkeep. Yeah, you right? How, how are you on this fine autumn day? I'm all right, yeah. Uh, can I do anything for you? Uh, I would like a new guitar. My current guitar is broken. Right. Well, you've come <laughs> to the right place. You know, you look, you look quite familiar to me. Oh, you, you're not that lad, are you? You know. I go by many names. Uh, that lad is one. Ed Sheeran, they call me. No. Oh, well, Mr. Yes. Sheeran, we've got just the guitar for you. Uh, come with me to the back room. That sounds really suspicious. I'd rather stay here, please. <laughs> and I picture the back room. It isn't a door. It's got like, got like a beaded kind of curtain, you know, and you have to kind of go... Yeah. through it and stuff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 and under a glass yeah. case there's this kind of guitar there does that guitar have limbs it certainly does yeah and they're looking to wrap themselves around you oh nothing you're saying is putting me at ease i should say this right no, now. this is a magic guitar it's been in my family for generations in my family this 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 guitar has written some of the great song greatest songs such as pete such as um 41 moments that crabs ruined my life. What? And what genre was that, Sam? <laughs> it's a country song. Gotta be. <laughs> <laughs> With a title like that. Etc. So I take, you know. <laughs> I, wow, that is, I have to say, that is one of my favourite songs. Uh, yeah. Maybe I should give this a go. Yeah. That'll be 500 quid, please. <laughs> but, but for someone like wow. the fact that the shopkeeper recognises it's Ed Sheeran, but only charges him 500 quid. 500 quid, yeah. That, that is a deal, good sir. I will take this magic guitar yeah. for 500 pounds. Then, then, then this is it. You leave the shop, you turn around, the shop's gone. Like the curse has been passed on to mm. you now. So yes, it will write the wow. greatest song for you ever. Uh. But Sam, there's a twist. What is the twist, though, Sam? Uh, the twist is that no, even though it's the best song ever, 
and it will make you loads of money. No one ever remembers who that song is by. And that is how that, ladies and gentlemen, is how we got Ed Sheeran. <laughs> Credits. <laughs> the end. The Banshees of Ed Sheeran. If you would like to pitch us a movie, um, <laughs> then please get in touch that, with us. That has a similar title to an actual real-life movie. Yeah. yeah, give us a title. Yeah. Um, you, you can email us, stayinginpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also send please. that information via Instagram, Twitter, if anybody's still using it. We don't have a Mastodon yet. Uh, the uh, You can do it via Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other ways. Uh, and um, one of the things I want to call out is how good Chris's Spotify playlist is. We link to it every single yes. time uh, in, in these episodes. So in the episode show notes, if you go to scroll to the bottom, tappity tap, and you can listen to uh, the Spotify playlist that Chris has put together that is thematically linked to a whole bunch of different stuff that we talk about in general. Have you, have you put any stuff from Tunic on there, Chris? Because that Tunic soundtrack oh is my word. incredible. So there you go. Lots of good stuff in there. Um, and, you know, what else can they do? What else can people do? Well, they can find... They, they, they're interested in taking a look at Horrify. They can look at our Board Game Geek page. Yeah. Yeah. I might, shall, I, shall I do a little like unboxing for Horrify, put it on the Instagram channel? Yeah, please do. Please do, because it's really yeah. good. Yeah, I really want to see, I, I really see the art of the American monsters, actually. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, I'll do that. So if you go to Instagram, there'll be a, 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 a sort, sort of look at the innards, Ooh, the yeah. gizzards, the gizzards the of American monsters. And if you have a, you know, there's things coming up soon. Christmas is coming up really soon. Um, if you have a video game player friend in your life, uh, if you go over to our Steam page, which we link to from stayinginpodcast.com, um, you can go and see all the video games that are available on Steam uh, that we've ever covered, which, let's be honest, it's most of the game video games we've ever talked about. Um, and yeah. uh, the, so uh, all of those recommendations are in there with links to the episodes that we discussed them and the, the timestamps where we discuss those things. So if you're like, ooh, I need to buy. I need to buy a video game gift for a friend of mine. Uh, go look at Steam, and you can see all the things we've ever talked about, and whether or not you think it might yeah. be right and, for them. And apologies to that listener who said that we're going to bankrupt them because of our recommendations. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is. It's kind of on them. Yeah, I mean, it, we don't take all responsibility for that. We just, we just put the information out there. Yeah. So, so don't so legally you can't come back to us mm. in the event of bankruptcy. Just just I'd like to clarify this officially on record. All right. Yeah. We'll just delete all episodes of the podcast. Yeah, we were never yeah, here. Never, <laughs> we were never here. Yeah. Yeah. Like the banshees of Inishiran. Like it's one day you just decide I don't yes. want to listen to you anymore. Oh. <laughs> Oh. But yes, also, if you have any questions or uh, Pete investigates, mm. we'd love to hear those. Mm. Um, Pete's uh, bored, so we just like to send him off and do his, do, do his investigating, which is always fun for all of us. Uh, so feel free to get those <laughs> queries in. With his notebook uh, and his trilby hat. Yeah, <laughs> he's, got, he's got his magnifying glass out and his deer stalker. Awesome. All right, then, everyone. That'll do.